Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday evening, and a little while I have to record a lecture, so let me use this opportunity to do the Haftorah for this week, which uh, is time-sensitive, actually. Uh, today's podcast is being sponsored by uh, Yaakov Tenenbaum of Jerusalem, Israel. Uh, Tenenbaum's uh, re- his grandmother recently passed away and at Elka Bas Moshe, and uh, this Friday is the Shloshim, uh, which is an interesting date. Uh, in other words, the Sarbatevus is the Shloshim, and uh, it's uh, I know it wasn't from the corona or anything like that. It's Beth Tenenbaum's mother, and uh, he wrote, It's very nice. He said, I just want to express my gratitude to Hashem for the many good years her children, grandchildren, and great grandchildren were so good to have with her. So that's uh, really uh, a classy thing to say. As always, we're uh, always appreciative to our sponsors. Yaakov is in Yerushalayim. We have uh, listeners there as well. Um, and a former student of mine, sort of. <laughs> and uh, without any further ado, let me get to the body of this. This week's Haftorah is uh, from the famous story of the two sticks. And it's from Yechezkel, Prophet Ezekiel. And again, if you take the trouble to look inside, it's the follow up. It's juxtaposed the follow up prophecies from chapter thirty seven. Now, Yechezkel, Ezekiel, is the prophet who is living at the time of and after the destruction of the first temple. He's a coin. Mm, he's from the first exiles. Uh, you will perhaps recall that when the Jews, uh, I'm talking about Yisrael now, the destruction. Happened in two stages. Same thing happened to the kingdom of the north, and same thing happened to the kingdom of the south. There used to be two kingdoms, which is a major theme of the Haftorah. One's called the kingdom of Yehuda. That was the south. That was the tribe of Yehuda and the tribe of Benjamin. And if you know your geography very well, also the tribe of Shimon. And uh, that's where they had the base of Migdash. And that was under the Davidic dynasty, the 20 kings from the house of David. But the north was the Yerom ben Devat part, what they call Machis, Yisrael, the ten tribes. Again, using that term loosely. And uh, that was destroyed by Ashur. I'm sure you recall that. And the south was destroyed by Bobo. Now, Yechezkel, our author, who wrote the book, is one of the three great prophets, Yeshayim Yechezkel. It's long. That's why they call the three great prophets, because their their books are very long. You know, the Treoser is very short. The big three, Yeshayim Yechezkel, very long. Yechezkel definitely the weirdest of the three, no question about it. He is directed by God to do many weird things. Okay? Many weird things. And uh, he also has a lot of prophecies about the future. It's extremely weird to me because, listen closely, he lived in between or after the Churm Ba'is Specifically, let me make myself clear. What happened was, in the south, the north was already gone, wiped out by Ashur. The south... The king of Yehuda, and the time of Yechezkel, and the time of Prophet Yirmiyahu, so they were screwing up also. 
And Nebuchadnezzar came and had a war. And he won the war. The king of Judah died during the siege and his little son took over. The city surrendered. Um, Nebuchadnezzar did not destroy the city. Instead, he carried off the young king, Yehoniah, or Yehoyachan, if you like, and the elites, the Charsh, the Mazgar people, the, the elites, who were transported in captivity to Babylon, where they were dumped there and left alone. Uh, that's called Gaulus Yehoniah. Then Nebuchadnezzar appointed a Jewish king of his own, who was from the house of David, an uncle of the little boy who was king. So the uncle was Tzidkiyahu. And he said, keep your nose clean, don't rebel against me, and everything will be fine. What do you Jews want? You got your kingdom, I'm leaving you alone. I'm leaving you with your base on Megdash. They practice your religion, sit and learn, as they say, do what you want, and, and get out of my hair. I do require that you pay me tribute, because I'm ruling over you now. But shine, so you pay tribute. And the prophet Jeremiah and the others throughout the book say, just do it, take the deal. I mean, as Yermio says so famously, we're going to compete with a superpower. If you cannot run with their dogs, how are you going to run with their horses? Right? And so, as we know, stupidly, Chizkiyo comes across as very stupid, didn't listen to Yermio, and somehow or other got him tangled in another rebellion against Babel. And then the second time, which was 10 years after the first time, came Tishabov. Then Machnazer came with an army, or he sent his generals, and they just captured the city and burned down the base of Migdash, etc., etc. Okay? Now, our hero, Yechezko, was a coin who was a member of the elite, so he was carried off in round one. Get it? So he is usually prophesying in the book, or often, in Babylonia, in the ten years between round one and round two, and he is already foreseeing the future destruction, right? Because he knows about all the bad things that are happening in, in Judah. Uh, he even gets virtual reality tours, I kid you not, with an angel. And uh, he's very depressed. Many of his prophecies have to do with his depression, which is not unjustified. His depression had good room. He was like Cassandra. He sees the coming destruction. And um, he also has a lot of prophecies about the future. Now, this is very weird, because he's talking about Shlishi. Mind you, I don't know how anybody in his time could tell what's going on, because they didn't even have Bayashani yet. You understand? So he's already foreseeing that Bayashani is going to be a temporary business, and he's thinking thousands of years in the future, which is why people go read the book of Yechezkel for a description of Beis Amigdash of Bayashlishi. That's the weirdest a minute. Okay? Now, so when you see the prophecies in Yechezkel, you have to discern between those that apply to Bayashani and those apply by Shlishi. That's by way of introduction. Now, we know that um, when he was carried off, and especially after round two, when the base of Mesh was destroyed, and Israel was made Yudin all the Jews were carried off and ended up in Babylonia. There wasn't a single Jew left in Israel. So it seemed that Jewish history is over. And you find in the book of a whole bunch of incidents in which the Jewish people say like this, Okay, I guess Jewish history is over. Now I can eat a ham sandwich, right? Now I can live like a guy. <laughs> After all, when we they had a primitive understanding of their religious obligations. When we were in Israel, God gave us the land of Israel, and, and as a return for that, we had to keep the missus. But now that that's all over, Hashem has sold us out, as they said, to Nebuchadnezzar, which is a primitive way of understanding it. 
So, um, evidently, you know, then uh, we, we can worship idols. We can, we, knows we can blend into the population. Uh, Yecheskel, at God's command, thunders against this. And first of all, he gives him Moser. He says, That ain't going to happen. And if you try to do that, I'll bring a wave of anti-Semitism like Hitler. And regardless of religion, you'll be persecuted. I will rule over you as a separate Jewish people, even if it requires poured out anger, meaning anti-Semitism. That's one set of prophecies. On the other hand, Yechezkel's prophecies are not all negative. There are many negative ones. But there are also positive ones. And our Haftorah is among the positive ones. In chapter 37 of two halves, A and B, the first half we don't do this week's Haftorah. The first half is the famous prediction of the dry bones, the Atzamas which they do in Cholomoy, right? That's what everybody knows. And what kind of a prediction is that? The Jewish, if you don't take the story literally, and I don't want to get into that, that you discuss that in the Gemara, uh, I have a cute word in that, but I won't go into that now. If you take it figuratively, um, so it didn't actually happen, it's it's it's, it's a, a, a prophetic vision, it's a metaphor. What's the metaphor? The Kalal Yisrael looks themselves like dead bones, and uh, dead bones cannot rise, and yet they do rise. And so that's a message that he's sending, which is, even though you consider yourself dead as a people, country was taken away from you, base Amish was destroyed, everything was messed up, the Kalim are gone, uh, the people are killed, so it's the end of Jewish history. Like, for example, somebody might say, understandably, by Holocaust time, right? That's such a Corbin as if it's all over. It's not true, but I can psychologically understand that I do not condemn. person went through Auschwitz and they come out with these kind of ideas. I get it. And basically what he says like this, we're dry bones. I mean, God forbid, think of the person who had a big family, and then came Hitler, and killed everybody. And this person is now 50, 60 years old. He's not getting remarried or something. not going to have any more kids. And he built up a whole world. This happened, as you know, in World War II. And now it's all over. And basically, he's depressed for the rest of his life. And what happened to my children, my grandchildren, my family, and all the rest of it? We're a bunch of Atsumas Yavashas. You know, it's Auschwitz. It's, 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 it's uh, burned up in the crematoria, you know. It's Atsumas Yavashas. And uh, the whole class will look like that. And the prophet Yecheskel says, no, in other words, God tells him to deliver the message, not true. Because he says, can these bones live? And then miraculously they come to life. Right? Then comes the second prophecy, which is our Haftorah today. And that's why, and the reason it's mentioned our Haftorah today is because we have the battle for the uh, the two contenders. And it's Yehuda and Yosef. What is the story, as we all know, that culminates in this week's Parsha? The brothers tried to kill Joseph. Yehuda had a big hand in that, by the way. Uh, but Yehuda also has a big hand in unraveling who Joseph is. Because the Medeshah, but you look at the first Medeshah, it's very interesting. When he says, you asked us who's our father and mother, he was doing detective work, get it? And uh, little by little, he was getting to the actual identity of Yosef, which is why Yosef, according to Chazal, revealed himself. He got scared. And uh, so we have these two uh, contenders. They never settle it. Okay? If you look at the Medrash, especially Medrash Tanchuma, I just don't have time to go into it now, there's a whole bitter uh, debate, conversation between the two brothers. You tried to kill me. Well, you tried to do this. You tried to do this. This is you know, back and forth. And uh, neither backs off. Uh, instead, Yosef does something else. He he dissolves the tension 
by revealing himself and then assuring them that he doesn't have any bad feelings and that he's going to support the brothers through the famine. So the issue of, you know, who prevails, Yosef Yehuda is unsettled. This theme continues in biblical history. And so later on you find the two big tribes, Yosef, either Ephraim and Asha, or and Yehuda. Um, this culminates, as we all know, in the breakup of the kingdom. There was a united kingdom of the Jews for a short time. King Saul, which was a short, short time. And then Dovid and Shlomo, 40 and 40. And then comes Rabban Devot. Rabban Devot and the Shebet Ephraim. Most of the kings of the north, there were 20 kings in the north. Most of the kings of the north were either from Ephraim or Menashe. If you take the trouble to look it up, you're like four or five dynasties. And you know, you're Rabban from Ephraim. And I believe Omri, I think, was from Ephraim. And uh, Yehu, who had five kings, who I think was from Menashe. You know, like that. So basically, the two kingdoms represented Yehuda and Benjamin. I'm sorry, Yehuda and Yosef. Uh, Yehuda or, um, or what do you call it? Or uh, Yehuda or uh, the kingdom of the north led by Ephraim and Asha. That's what I mean. That was the kingdom of the, of the golden calves, sadly. And then they never were able to reunite. And uh, then they were picked off one by one. And now you're at the, so it makes the Jews look pretty stupid. We're not good at politics, which is true. And then you have the prophecy now that the Jews are at rock bottom. The 10 tribes are lost, gone forever. Or at least it seems that way. I mean, there's a whole discussion about that. Uh, you know, many of them, based on our Parsha today, tried to argue that the 10 tribes are coming back, even though it's a machlugus in the Mishnah, as you perhaps know, between Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Lazar in uh, Sanhedrin. I think I did that for the art scroll. And uh, you know whether they're coming back or not, and some learn it that, that they're only referring to the first generation. All kinds of stuff. The Ramban has a book where he goes into this question in great detail. Sefer Geula, uh, you know, because he was thinking about the you know Mashiach coming his time. Anyhow, so you see this uh, pirud, and we all know the Jews suffer from a profound pirud. Um, I think all Jews agree. If we could all unite our, our talents, we'd be unstoppable. Imagine, I'll use contemporary language. Imagine if everybody who was Jewish was pro-Israel and fought with all their heart for Israel. The Arabs and the Palestinians wouldn't stand a chance. Believe me, most of the support the, the PLO and everything did, they're from left-wing Jews. I know it sounds like I'm giving a rant, but I'm actually not. Matter of fact, you want to know who started the Intifada if you take the trouble to do the historical research. It was a leftist professor, him and his wife, that drove around the West Bank in 1987 or 88, and told them, starting into fire. say, That's how it goes. So this is nothing but an example that the Gaulists and the Gaulists' problems come from a period. Um, during the Holocaust, I'm sorry to say, it's notorious, there's a terrible period in world Jewry. The from and not from, uh, in America, the, the Stephen Wise versus the other guys, the, uh, you know, the Peter Bergson, it was a terrible thing. And uh, looks like it's hardwired into the Jewish Messias. The story of Joseph is a story of period. It's the ultimate period. And it's never really settled, you understand? Uh, like I said the other day, they don't ever thrash it out. Yaakov and Yosef never, never discuss, you know, what exactly happened to Yosef. And so what they do is what many families do, which is let's not talk about it. And let's try to go invite her. And that is true, that works in a practical way, pragmatic way. But the source of the period, that means it's still there. It's still radioactive. 
and a cannon will reappear. And that is what happened among the Jews. And this period, this divisiveness, expressed itself uh, for hundreds of years in the phenomenon of two kingdoms, the north and the south, Yehuda and Yisrael, who very often fought each other. Uh, take, for example, the book of Devarayamim, just off the top of my head, when Avio was the king of the south, and Yeram the king of the north, they had a battle, and the south killed a half a million in the north. You hear what I just said? Half a million Jews. That sounds almost like a Hitler. There was a king of Yehuda to the king of Israel. So we have unbelievable period. Now, in this prophecy today, Yechezkel uh, is talking to the downtrodden Jews who are depressed in Babylonia, and he's bringing a message from God. And the message is that, number one, the dry bones will live, and number two, all period problems will be miraculously solved. That there will be a future in which the ten tribes will come back, and, uh, uh, what do you call it? It'll, uh, it'll work out. You'll have a unity. As he says over here, uh, again, Yechesko does a lot of weird things, and one of them over here is take two pieces of wood, take a stick of wood, and one piece of wood, write down Yehuda and, and tribes. And take a second piece of wood, and write down Joseph and tribes. So one represents, in other words, the kingdom of the south, one represents the kingdom of the north. Now listen to this. The car of Osam Echad al Echad Lachol Echad, bring them together. So literally, what it means is take the two sticks and and have them touch each other in in your hand. Right now, many mafarshim say like this: it will miraculously become one piece of wood. <laughs> right? Isn't that interesting? Miraculously become one piece. Now you could learn it that you'll just you hold them tight together, but but it, it sounds like it's. It's doing like a, a, a supernatural thing. The two sticks of wood coming, one stick of wood. And uh, and the people say, what's going on? And he'll explain. These are the two tribes. And it represents the future of Kali Yisrael, that there will be finally, um, there will be finally Achdus um, uh, over there. And uh, that's what the prophet is telling him. So it's a little bit along the lines of what we said before. And... Uh, you know, Anilo Kech is Bnei Yisrael, Bnei Agayim, Mashalchusham. First of all, I'll, I'll have a kibitz Goliath for all the nations. Vasisim Lagay Echad Bars Bahar Yisrael. Not only will I bring all the Jews back, but I'll bring them back as a united people. Umelech Echad Yilu Kol Mechad. They'll all have one king. Below Yod Shnei Goyim won't be two countries. Below Yichatzu Yod Shnei Mamlochzod won't be two kingdoms. That's that's very interesting, but this is actually sad. My personal take is whenever you come across these things, to interpret this in a philosophical and pessimistic manner. Not, I'm not being funny, I'm serious. And I'll tell, you what I'm, I'll tell you what I mean by that. What this is indicating is that, especially if the two pieces of wood mamas come together, hey, it's sad, he said, the Jewish people uh, are of such a nature that um, period is, is built, is hardwired into them. It will require a divine miracle to overcome that. Right? When you take two pieces of wood and meld them together in a single piece, it means it's a nace. And so Hashem is saying, at the end of time, in the Messianic era, I, God, will make a nace. Right? And uh, you'll find there's achdus. That's very sad. <laughs> right? That's very sad. It's saying, you know, in other words, it couldn't happen on its own. Uh, without Hashem getting involved, it's definitely not going to happen. But it will happen one day. But when will it happen? 
in the future, a Mashiach site. That means until today, in the year 2020, don't 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 count on Jews being united, because Mufuzim afford Benega Amim. You understand? Which is very depressing, because it's after the week of Asarbatevis, uh, and part of the idea that comes across is had the Jews been united, wouldn't have been a Churban. Uh, you find this idea expressed in Chazal from time to time, when it says Chavor Ephraim Atzavim Hanachlov, that if Ephraim had been united with Yehuda uh, and would bring Achdus, even if they would be Atzav and maybe they worship idols, Hanachlov Hashem will leave them alone, because God likes Achdus, even though it's very foreign to us today, because we've grown up in the modern period, in which the Orthodox and conservative reform, the Israelis, the Americans, etc., 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 are all you know uh, split up into different groups. And each guy's idea of Achdus is that the others should all be like me. Which is not what he means by Achdus. Okay? It's not what he means by Achdus. That's called amalgamation. That's a, you know, that's more the image that this the, the snake of the stick of Joseph swallowed the other sticks. <laughs> the snakes. They all became like me. Here's a different model. The two sticks become one stick. It's a different thing altogether. Now you have two sticks of the Moses story, the two sticks of the Ezekiel story. In the Moses story, one stick swallows the others. In the Ezekiel story, the two blend together into a single one. Notice they'll find some way, or perhaps I should say it'd be a nace, a miracle. God will provide a certain way in which it, it, it blends together. Now I want to say this. Um, you see in this week's parsha, to my mind, something very, very interesting. One second here. And I mean the concept of Mashiach and Yosef. You know, we have we have in Judaism a messianic business that at the end of time there'll be utopia led by a Mashiach. And if you go like the Rambam, for example, he just discussed it be a Mashiach ben David. And that's, you know, the simplest way. It makes sense to me. On the other hand, you find one place in the Gemara and then in other literature a Mashiach ben Yosef figure who's like a preliminary to uh, Mashiach ben David. Or if you prefer Mashiach ben Yehuda. And uh, in this week's parish also, there's one stick of Joseph, one stick of Judah. Now, uh, Rav Haigon and uh, Sadigon both gave, unlike the Rambam, gave very detailed uh, uh, descriptions of how they imagine the Messianic era would unfold, and they were just describing what had, people had said before then. And um, you see, the Meshub and Yosef is a major figure over here, but he gets killed along the way. Okay? I'll say it again. The Messiah, son of Joseph, Mashiach and Yosef, is a necessary figure in the Messianic drama, but he has a temporary role. He gets uh, blown away. I have in front of me an English um, translation or summary of what Haigon says. It's about a paragraph or two. And listen very closely, and you'll see the role of Mashiach and Yosef. This is from Haigon. First says, Hi, the Mashiach and Yosef, with a number of his followers, will conquer Jerusalem and proclaim himself king of Israel. The majority of the Jews in the diaspora will remain unconvinced, however, that the end of days is here. When the nations of the world hear that the Jews now have a king, they will drive the Jews out of their cities, questioning the Jews' loyalty to their own realm now that the Jews have a kingdom of their own. Many Jews will be compelled to flee for safety to the desert surrounding their former places of residence, there they will dwell in tents and suffer severe privations. So great will be their sufferings that many will abandon the Jewish faith. Now all this 
in the Hebrew is backed up with Pesukim, interpretations of Pesukim. Then, the anti-Messiah, meaning the enemy of the Mashiach ben Yosef, whose name is Armilus, will then attract a great following by means of magical powers that are his, and he will succeed in his plan to murder the Mashiach ben Yosef. So the Mashiach ben Yosef has a temporary role, and then he leaves the scene. From this, further acts of apostasy will result, and only the hardcore, most faithful Jews will remain loyal to Judaism. And then they will have Dikvus and Mashiach, and then it goes on to describe Mashiach ben David and Gogo Magog and all those other things, and followed by Tchias Mason. It's too long for me to go into now. So this is what you call the role of the Mashiach ben Yosef, who plays an important part in the play, but then leaves the play, I would say, early on. Right? He's going to be killed by Armilius. Now, uh, what's that for Mashiach ben, ben Yosef? What do you even need that for? I think, you see, from these Navuas like we have today, there are two sticks, one's Yehuda, one's Yosef. And also, in my opinion, that's just what I think, I could be wrong, you see from the story in uh, Pasha Vayigash and all that, that Yosef is the uh, original savior of the Jews. The Jewish people have a Gaulus called Gaulus Mitzrayim. That becomes a prototype, as I understand it, for the later Gauluses, right? What happened to Gaulus Mitzrayim? The Jews have a number of crises, and one leader leads them skillfully through crisis number one, and the other leader leads them through crisis number two. The crises, of course, are at the beginning of the Jewish entry into Egypt, and that's Yosef, who is in a position, like it says in this week's parsha, Anuchi Achalkelaschem, Vaidabra Alibam. He arranged that they should have uh, uh, Goshen. Notice Yosef set up the Jews in an excellent situation, meaning he provided them with the wherewithal and the policy how to survive successfully in the Gulf Mitzrayim. But then, as of course the story goes, it's only temporary. You see. When Yosef dies, the Jews go off to Derek, sort of like the Armilius killing the Mashiach ben Yosef, to my mind. And that's what happened. And then, eventually, the Jews go into Shibud Mitzrayim, which was terrible. The Chazal say it was 86 years. And then, when they're rock bottom, Moshe Rabbeinu comes and becomes, if I can use the term, a Mashiach ben David, Mashiach, the other ultimate Messianic figure, that he actually leads them out through miracles and uh, gets them to the Promised Land or up to there. Okay, and even le- leads them to Har Sinai. So you have Savior number one and Savior number two. Savior number two does more. Okay, he mamish gets him a geula. Savior number one helps them to survive within the vicissitudes of Gaulus Mitzrayim, and Savior number two mamish gets him a geula. And so I think, Levi Amrly, maybe people write about. It, I don't know that you know uh, because Yosef has this remarkable role. Uh, so putting about all the other issues that I talked about yesterday, you know, the personal and personality issues, because Yosef plays this historic role, so a Mashiach ben Yosef becomes an essential part, essential component of an ultimate messianic uh, redemption. And I repeat, the Ramah doesn't talk about this, but um, but the Gonim sure do, and many others. Uh, Pirkei Blesser, I think, I don't know. There, there are certainly many sources that um, speak along these lines, of a of a Yosef playing an essential role. Now it won't work until, like you find in today's Haftorah, they blend together in one. Maybe it means. Now I, I want to tell you something. I'm going to give you just a thought, and I'll t- and, and, and here it is. What happened to the ten tribes? Lachari, they're gone. 
I mean, where are they? Today's the year 2020. They're gone. I mean, they used to say they're hiding in the unknown parts of the world, in darkest Africa, in Shangri-La, and in Amazon. I don't know. That's only because those are parts of the world that nobody knew. But today, the Gansevelt is, is Google, uh, what do you call it? You know, the Google camera. What am I talking about? And uh, you know, we've, we've gone through every piece of the earth, and they're not there. You can't say they're in Africa. We went through all of Africa. You can't say they're in South America or Tibet. They went through all that. So where are they? So Pashim shot is that the 10 tribes are totally uh, intermarried and they're gone. So today, the Pakistan or someplace like that, I don't know, you know, Iraq, Khreshwas, could be the 10 tribes. Could be, if you go by DNA. Now, um, that's one thing. But as I described the other day, not everybody from the north uh, stayed north. A few went south for Frumkite reasons. I'm talking about at the beginning of the rebellion of Yeramam and one or two other times when Asa was king and things like that. Now, what happened to these northerners? So, so in other words, what I'm saying is, and again, if you read the Tanakh closer, you see it, especially in Divri Yaman. What I'm saying is, individual people from Ephraim, from Menasha, from, um, you know, Zvulun, God, Naphtali, and so forth and so on, individual people came and moved south. What happened to them? The answer is, I don't know. Uh, by that I mean, obviously, they intermarried with other Jews, and uh, they didn't have a shaver of their own territory because that was in the north, and they had abandoned the north because the north had devoted itself to idolatry and they wanted to be from. So here you have a guy, for example, from Ephraim, who moved to Yerushalayim for the best possible from kite reasons. Uh, he's a Rosh Hashiva, let's say. He's a Ephraimite or a Menasheite. And he came to Yerushalayim because in the north is a Vodazar. So what did this guy do? He lived there. His kids got married. They eventually blended into... The neighborhood, right? In other words, you know, they, they, they sort of like got absorbed in Trabi Yehud or Binyamin. So that a guy might be around today, as I, as I mentioned the other day, you have a coin Levi Yisrael. I'm a coin, I think. You're a Levi, you think. See, the other guy's the Yisrael. What's Yisrael? Well, not a coin, not a Levi. What does that mean? Well, uh, it's Yehud or Binyamin. Uh, because those were the two tribes in the south. Or if you again, if you want to be really a stickler, it's Yudah Ben Yamin or Shimon. It might come from Shimon, because Shimon was located in South Shine, but not in the North. Not necessarily. I might be talking to somebody on the street, who, if you go all the way back, actually comes from God, from Usher, from Ephraim, from Menasha, from Zvulun. You get what I'm saying? His ancestors, one of these frumies, they moved here long ago. So wait a minute, but they've lost their identity meaning they lost their specific identity. They're from Jews, 100%. They lost their Shavit identity. Listen, that's a fact. Even today, you find me Yisrael, you can't t tell me whether you come from Yehudah ben Yaman. I mean, the only people I know that can do that are those who claim that they have Yichas from David and Melch, which most of the time is not even true. But a lot of people claim Yichas from David and Melch. It's funny. I never heard of somebody say, I have a Yichas brief from, uh, I don't know, you know, I've never been there. That's pretty good, true. <laughs> right? I come from Shal. Everybody wants to come from Dublin. All the Rebbe's, all the things like that. Believe me, I have such a thing also on my mother's side. I do. Seriously. Uh, everybody wants to come from Dublin. But if you don't have that, then you're Israel. Israel means like this. I don't know. I'm a Jew. Uh, from Jew. Hopefully all my ancestors were like that. 
either I'm from Yehuda or from Binyamin, or as I said before, if you want to be a stickler about it, maybe from Shimon, does he does. Uh, how come you can't tell who your tribes are? We don't know anymore. We lost this long ago in Jewish history. The the from Jews amalgamated into one entity. Nobody knows whether you're from this shavit or that shavit. Uh, so theoretically, you might also come from Yosef. Agreed? You might come from, like I say, some Ephraimite, Rosh Hashiva, or Rebbe, or something like that, who 3,000 years ago ran away from the north because they were worshipping idols and settled in the south. And there I'm looking at a guy today, and of course he doesn't know it, but he actually comes from Yosef. So what do you call that? Here's the beauty of this. What do you call that when a guy, you know he's Jewish, but you don't know what his shtam is anymore. You know what his stick is. The answer is, the two sticks have blended into each other. That's the prophecy of Ezekiel. You get it? If the two sticks become one stick, then what is the stick? You see? The answer is, the two are blended into a single stick. So, you know, they lose their individual identity into a group, an amalgamated group identity. Okay? Now they're the Jewish. That's all. And so, to some degree, you and I have lived through at least a partial of the prophecy of Ezekiel, of Yechezkel, because we've all become just Jews, JJ, just Jews, right? And we don't know what our background is. Perhaps that's a fault. I get that. You know, it'd be better if people knew the Yechus, no question about it. But that's the way, nobody can fix that today. Not in the year 2020, not in the year Tavshin Pe'alv. Can't fix that. And so, what happened? Bukhar Lohem the Jewish people, especially the from Jews, have become an echad. If if what I said is true, it's just a conjecture, then we ain't so far away from a shirtam. That that'd be the nice way to look at it. On the other hand, you can't be glib about these sorts of things, because as I said before, it is a sarbatavis around the corner. Friday morning, we're going to be saying the slichas. Everybody knows, you perhaps remember that sarbatavis is not a lot of slichas. The first one is Eskarel Matuk Ashokrani, very famous uh, poem, in which the author talks about the fact that Slichus is, I'm sorry, that Asarbatibus is three fast days rolled into one. It's the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth. Yesterday was the eighth. I spoke yesterday about um, my family in the Holocaust. But it's also the day, if you go by what we're going to read in the Slichus, it says, Dechani Yamanis, Melch Yovan Insani Lichtab Das Yamanis. That yesterday was the anniversary of the Septuagint when they translated the Bible into Greek, which, as you know, the rabbis were opposed to, and they saw it's a terrible disaster, which is a long parsha. But let's put it this way: um, the translation of the Bible into Greek is what allowed the Jews, at kach to this moment, to survive in a Christian world, um, with the good and the bad, because the Jews are viewed as exceptional. And today, knows I'm already on Wednesday night, so that's the ninth. Uh, is the the, the the Archit of Ezra Sofer. At least that's what it says. I know Professor Lyman, there's a whole bunch of articles, maybe St. Peter or St. Paul, something like that. I'm familiar with these concepts. But anyway, something bad happened. And then the next day, the 10th, is um, Asarbate was when the siege began of Jerusalem. And you can't fast three days in a row, so they rolled them all into, into a single one. Okay? They rolled them in a single one. So the prophecies of the Parsha are taking place against the background of Asar Batavis and the uh, predictions of doom, but they uh, conclude, those in Shabbos will conclude, with this Eitz Echad, which means you amalgamate into one. Now, um, in the dream, or the prophecy, 
It's either if it happened, it's an ace, or if it's a dream, it's a nevuah. But in our time, meaning in, uh, not only today, obviously, but long ago already, in the, goal, in the current goals, one of the characteristics of the current goals is chanabiyadi. Uh, Whoever survived, they become a single one, right? All you are today is Jewish. You're coin Levi Yisrael. JJ, just Jewish. Uh, that's not a bad thing. Now, uh, from a, but I'll tell you, it's sad if it means that it will require divine intervention to happen. And there's a wonderful passage, which is very sad, in the end where God says, I'm going to make a bris shalom, uh, a covenant of peace. And the language is ambiguous. Does that mean that God will make a, a, a covenant of peace with them? Or, uh, <laughs> uh, or as the Barbanel interprets it, to make a peace, covenant of peace among them. Okay? In other words, it will, again, require divine grace and a special oomph from upstairs to introduce the spirit of Achdus into the Jewish people. They have what they call Bris Shalom. Uh, wow. That's uh, food for thought. Because what it means then is that the story of Yosef and his brothers, which you read every year, it, it, one of the reasons we read it is because it calls attention to our um, failures all the time to attain true Achdus. And the Jewish people today are scattered and fighting each other all over the place. It's an unfortunate sign of the times, but at least the Haftarah calls us to the ideal to which all of us are supposed to strive. And once again, we wish the Tannenbaum family on Friday, when they have the Shloshan, that they, uh, you know, the Shem should have an Aliyah, and the family, as he said before, should be grateful for all the many good years that they had. And with that, I wish you all a good For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.